I'm a firm believer in getting the right person to do the right job. And when it comes to matters of love and finance, it's best to stick with the professionals. Today's cash flow show guest is someone who is thankfully one of the experts. So if you want to hear more about navigating the murky waters of family disputes, then stay here until we come back after the intro. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for the cash flow show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favourite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at the Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. Hello and welcome to the Cashflow Show. And today's guest is, I don't know how to do it. Should I say, do I say Ms. Michelle Camacho? Do I say Mrs. or do I, what do I say? Mrs. Uh, Mrs. (laughs) Michelle Camacho. And the reason why I'm stressing that particular point is when you find out what our guest today does, then you'll be um, uh, more than intrigued as to my approach. Hello, Michelle, and welcome to the Cashflow Show. Hello. (laughs) So tell us a bit more about you because I've built you up through that particular intro and everybody must be intrigued as to what you actually do. I'm a family lawyer and it's quite funny when you ask me what my title is because I have been for a divorce myself and remarried. So I always say to my clients, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Well, I said... I can guarantee that there are quite a few women and some men who are basically in a position where they think, oh, this is a good side. So if you're going through that kind of situation, I've turned into an agony uncle now, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Then um, it will be more than interesting when you hear about today's podcast. So Michelle, you've told us that you're a family lawyer and we haven't had any lawyers on the show so far. And basically my background is in law and people have picked that up from other podcasts and from meeting me. So it's interesting to get somebody in an area that I know something about, but not very many people know about it. Let's go back to the beginning of your career. When did you first start your your legal career? When did that first kick off for you? Well, it's from university. I'd done a three-year BA honours degree course in social science, specialising in law and society. And then because I didn't do the LLB law, I had to do a one-year law conversion course, which my parents paid for. (laughs) And then you do the one-year legal practice course, which is the proper qualification to become a lawyer. And then you do two years training in a law firm, which is called the training contract, as it was in those days. I'm not that old for it to be called Article Clark. So it was still a training contract. But I remember Article Clark. (laughs) (laughs) So you do two years training in a solicitor's office, and then you qualify as a solicitor, a solicitor of the Supreme Court. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds pretty exciting. It sounds pretty exciting. Well, you're in a position now where obviously you've done all of that training. Let's go back even further. When did you have desires that you wanted to be a lawyer? Well, initially, I was toying with the idea of being a teacher. Okay. In a secondary school. Okay. Quite a lot of my friends who are teachers, they 
constantly say it's a struggle with all the performance targets and the children are completely different to how they were when you and I were young. Mm. Some of them, there's no, you can't rationalize with them. So it's completely different to how it was back then. So I decided I will become a lawyer because I like to help people who are in a misfortune, misfortunate uh, position. I like to help them and show them that, you know, I can solve their problems. So that's why I chose to become a lawyer and why I chose to become a family lawyer because initially back in those days you were able to you didn't have to specialize so initially I was doing employment law personal injury and family law and it then got to the stage where you had to specialize so I decided family law because I like going to court and advocating on my client's behalf I was known as the still known as the fearless advocate Well, you know something, what's funny, as I said, the reason why I I find all of this quite amusing, because obviously I always tended to find that in terms of family, it was a situation where family lawyers were were sort of quite low key for a long time. And it it seems to have got in the last, maybe say 10, 20 years, family lawyers have become very much more prominent and much more noticeable. And I think that to a certain extent, when... I started in law, it was all about wanting to be involved in crime right, until yeah. you realised that crime didn't really pay. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when people said that to you, you know, crime doesn't pay, it didn't really pay. And that was one of the key things. So I think what I found interesting is obviously the fact that you decided to specialise and you wanted to help people. Did you see anything on TV that made you feel that you wanted to be a lawyer or did, it, did you see other people in your family? Well, no, no, I'm the first, the only lawyer in my family. But I think from the TV perspective, I remember looking at LA Law, it was all, all the American dramas, oh, I remember. Yes. LA Law and <laughs> Ali McBeal. So, yes, they definitely inspired me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I want to do this, yeah. but it's nowhere near as glamorous, <laughs> as glamorous as they portray on the TV. No, I do agree with you that I think that to a certain extent, LA Law made it really glamorous. <laughs> that was just uh, LA Law for those who are listening who are maybe slightly younger. <laughs> um, LA Law was, um, I think it was an Aaron Spelling production in the 80s, maybe 90s. And it was effectively a law film, Brackman something and something. And it made the legal profession seem incredibly glamorous. And they used to have breakfast meetings with croissants and fresh pastries and everything was fantastic offices. Nothing like the real world. It it just drew you in. But it was was really quite an influential program at the time. And it did run for quite some time. In terms of that, how long have you been a lawyer? Oh, I shouldn't really ask you how long, because that will give it away how long you've been a lawyer. But let's say you've been a lawyer for a considerable period of time. Over 21 years. Wow. <laughs> You're a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you attach? Because a lot of lawyers don't actually like going to court. Oh, no. I, see, I hate being stuck in the office, just shuffling paper around, looking at a computer all day. That just... I find that very boring. Yeah, I know I have to do it. And also you've got to read up the law and everything. But I like the other side of being a lawyer, which is going to court, advocating in court, thinking on your feet, negotiating in the courtroom hallway before you even get before the judge. I like all that, all the um, the unpredictableness of it all. I like as well. I like all these challenges and get the adrenaline going. 
So, no, that really interests me. Mm. So you then decide in your mind that you're going to go into family and you're going to go out there and you're going to work with people. Now, in terms of working in that kind of situation, in those areas, you usually have two people who are in a relationship. And do you find that it becomes complicated when children are involved? Does that make things difficult in that respect? Oh, definitely. And I think the sad reality is a lot of parents, they focus so much on the bitterness between themselves. And if they really focus on what really matters, (laughs) which are their children, I think it will concentrate a lot of people's minds. And then they, you know, the silly trivial things like I have male clients, quite a lot of my clients are men. And they're arguing about a Denby collection or Dalton. I said, really, you want me to send a letter to the other side which is going to cost you X amount, arguing over material things. You need to focus on what's important, your children, your health, and you know, your well-being. That's what's important. Do you think that there is a lack of knowledge, for want of a better expression? There's a lack of knowledge about, not necessarily about what's important, because that's part of it. But the fact is, is that People want to take their emotional feelings that they've been carrying around for such a long time and then really use it via the solicitors or barristers that are involved in order to basically use it as a a boxing match. Well, yes, but usually what helps concentrates their minds as well is the legal costs of it all. So when you have letters going back and forth between solicitors, the costs will accrue. And usually when people see the bill, then they realise that, no, what I am arguing about is really silly. I'm going to come back to that, <laughs> the bill aspect of it, because um, I've represented some solicitors um, in terms of debt recovery. And uh, bills are very interesting, a very interesting point, because I've got this theory, and this is a theory that I've held for a long time, that there are three reasons why relationships break up. Mm-hmm. Sex, money, and family. Hmm. That sounds about right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, my, that's my philosophy. And I think if you can di- dissect any breakdown in any relationship, it's got one of those three things or a combination yes. thereof mm-hmm. of those things involved. That totally. is correct. Yeah. <laughs> I have to agree with you there. Yep. <laughs> and also, I think a lot of people get married in the first place for the wrong reasons. Of course. Yeah. I mean, but the fact yeah. is, is that people find it very difficult being in a physical relationship with somebody, which is the reason why most people are attracted to each other initially in the first instance, the reality of it is, is that's only going to last for a particular period of time. Yes. It can last for, for a long period of time, but ultimately the bottom line is you really have to get on. Yes. And if you can't get on, it's, it's one of those situations where ultimately it will crash. And I think people sometimes can be attracted to people, but what their difficulty is, is that, they think, I'm attracted to you, but I really can't stand you as a person. You're boring the hell out of me. <laughs> and I, I, that's, what, that's what I find fascinating. So let's go through a process of how people come to you. How do people find you? What's a, a, a typical client for you as an individual? Well, usually people come to me via word of mouth. Is it all mostly. very secret? Hush, hush. No, no. It's usually referrals from previous clients or family and friends, but generally it's word of mouth. They usually hear about me and they come to me and we have an initial chat 
and see if we could have that rapport because I think that's very important as well. You've got to be on the same page. If you're coming to me saying you want a Rottweiler and you want to take her for, you know, take her to the cleaners and we'll take him to the cleaners, then we're probably not going to work right. in the long term because that is not necessarily the way that you should approach a marital breakdown. And as a member of Resolution, which I am. So, so what is Resolution? Tell me. What it's you're... first for family law. So it's a group of dedicated family lawyers who adhere to a code of practice that they will deal with family disputes amicably. So there won't be you know, all this unnecessary acrimony. Going to court is seen as a last resort. So we always try and uh, refer people to mediation where they sit down with a trained mediator who will help them and encourage them to come to an amicable settlement that's best for them and their children and their family. And that's quite interesting because I trained as a mediator, trained as a family mediator. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it, and it was good. But the problem is when I did it, and it was some time ago, mm. the fact is, mediation wasn't at the top of the agenda then. Right. And there wasn't actually a lot of work around because PRMS actually stands for Positive Recovery and Mediation Services. Oh, right. Okay. I didn't know that. I remember ringing up the guy at the um, mediation place and the central office and he said to me, mediation, you're not going to make a living out of it. <laughs> well, now though, all cases, unless there's domestic abuse or there's an urgency, they have to... Go for a mediation. mediator. Yeah, and I was just... Although well. sometimes it can just be a mere tick box. Yeah, of course. Because if one party goes and says, look, I don't think mediation is going to be suitable, can you sign what is called a MIAMS form? And, and what's a MIAMS form? It's a form that the mediator signs. It's part of the application form to the court. So if, for instance, someone's applying to the court for a child arrangements order for them to see their children, you would go to a mediator, get them to sign the page, the relevant page of the form to say you've gone to mediation and it's not been successful, the other party hasn't engaged, and then you would use that form with your application to the court to then make the application. I see. So mediation really is one of those things that really has taken off rapidly over the last few years. Oh, yes, definitely, yes. Yeah. And I think that to a certain extent, the idea and the concept of mediation is absolutely brilliant because if people can talk about things, but most people, do you find that people come to you quite entrenched? They've got really strong feelings. And for example, they'll say that, oh, I often see disputes, especially when there are children involved and I'm an observer and it's like, I'm not going to let him see those kids and I'm not going to let him do this or whatever the case may be. Or he's not got a new girlfriend, he's fancy piece. And <laughs> yeah. How do you navigate that as a lawyer? Well, I always say that in when, just for example, if someone found out that their partner had cheated on them, their knee-jerk reaction is obviously they're angry, they're upset they run and see someone like me, a lawyer, but I would say they're probably not ready to come and see me. They need to see someone like a coach, a divorce coach first, to come to terms. Obviously, they're not going to come to terms 100%, but to help them to come to terms emotionally with, with what's happening in their family life and then come and see the lawyer. Because most of the time, people, when they come and see me, they're looking to me to make decisions. I can't 
tell you whether or not you should divorce your husband or your wife. That's got to be your decision. It's not your family's decision. It's not your friend's decision. It's got to be yours. So you've got to be emotionally stable as you can be to make the right decisions and to instruct your divorce lawyer as to what you want to do. So I always say a lot of people don't quite see the benefit, but I see the benefit. You should go and see a divorce coach first, then see the lawyer, and then afterwards see a financial advisor as well. So you know, it's a holistic service from three different professions. But do you think that the holistic approach, if you want, is great in theory, but this person's fuming they're absolutely fuming. So to me, the, this concept of the divorce coach is something that I've seen on LinkedIn. And I, you know, I can imagine them with a baseball hat and right. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get our heads down. <laughs> I know it's not how it is, but yeah. the concept of a divorce coach is, I've been doing that for years. Why didn't I get paid? <laughs> but to give an example, like some of my male clients, they're gener- the men are generally angry. Oh yeah. They're always angry. They're very angry. Yeah, yeah. So I could be on the phone for 45 minutes with a client just venting their anger on me. And that's not really cost effective to them. Oh no. But the thing is they've got nobody to tell because the problem is as a man, for the most part, most men are not going to speak to another man if they've been done wrong. <laughs> You know, for a lot, with a lot of men, why they probably blow on in and become that particular way is because there's not normally been an outlet for them. And the fact is, is that now at the end of the day, I'm going to get myself a lawyer and write, as I said before, this is my problem with her. This is what she's been doing. This is, she's been spending all her money on shoes and she's <laughs> bought all these handbags. And at the end of the day, why should I be paying her maintenance? I'm not being divorced, so yeah, I can't yeah, tell yeah, you. Yeah. I'm just seeing what I'm doing. But, you know, why is she spending all this money on handbags? Why does she need X amount of money to, to support these kids. It's a baby. It only needs pampers and <laughs> and, and and Vaseline. Why was she? Why she? Why she's got doing the windows? And why is the court doing this? They're all against me and blah blah blah. Yeah, but I think that person in the example you've yeah. given, they would benefit from a divorce coach, and they have male and female divorce coaches that I could easily refer clients to. No, that, it's just an interesting concept. Uh, and I don't necessarily think it's wrong. And, but it's I, the reality. It's yeah. the reality of it. But I think the problem is, is that I remember going into a, a taxi and I was going to, and this was years ago, going to Norwich County Court. And I got in the taxi and I had my uh, pilot's case and, and my stuff, right? You know, and all my <laughs> files and my papers. And the guy in the taxi driver goes to me. You're a lawyer, aren't you? I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, he goes, I said to him, why? He goes, oh, you lawyers, you always ask for receipts. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> that was it. And I said, he goes, yeah, I had a lawyer for my divorce. Oh, God. It cost me a story, bloody, yeah, 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 it was started. You get started. the story, yeah. You get the story. <laughs> and he said to me, you know, I paid a fortune for that, blah, blah. I said, you know, to be honest with you, my advice to you, I would have taken the money and gone to Brazil. <laughs> But actually, let me just touch on that because people say, oh, they spend a fortune. But in comparison, I know obviously it's a nice event. But if you look at how much people spend just for one day for a wedding, I'm sorry, it's just for one day a wedding, which is not really going to change your life. But when it comes to a divorce, 
it could be very damaging if you don't have the right representation. Oh, yes, I agree with that. But the fact is, is that wedding spending is driven by a woman. Yeah, but men obviously pay as well. Well, they, 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 they if you ask some men, they, they, they feel that they really pay. <laughs> but no, I, I, I take your point. I mean, ultimately, I do think that to a certain extent, yes, you, you need that quality representation when you're in that scenario, because unless you do, you do find yourself in a lot of trouble. But I think you're right. You spend a lot of money on a, for a wedding, really what is just it, literally one day the hundreds and thousands of pounds, which you, and the fact is when you see some people in the, their wedding, you can tell just from the wedding preparation, the thing ain't, is not going to last. It's just not going to last. You can just look at people. I can look at people and I'm thinking, that ain't lasting. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> you can see that the, the setup and the dynamic is all wrong. And then there are certain people that you can just see them and you think to yourself, yeah, those two people were, are, are going to be a good match. And after a while, there's a pattern. Because there's this test that you can do and that they do, um, which is, and I saw it on a TV program, they got all these wedding photos, cut them in half. Yeah, not in a horrible sense. It wasn't any, <laughs> some kind of dodgy ritual or something. But they cut those pictures in half and said to complete strangers, who would you pair together? And the fact is that most people paired the right people together just purely based on looks. Now, that is quite superficial in itself, but the reality of the situation is there are some people when somebody brings someone to it and you think to yourself, I don't think this is going to work. But you can't tell people how to run their life and you can't tell people about their relationships, you know? And sometimes you see, I've heard, heard some stories and I'm thinking, you do know this guy's a complete waster. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to tell it. I'm the guy that people come to and they say, oh, this is my relationship, blah, blah, blah. And I'm saying, well, what do you want? If you're looking for fun, protect yourself. <laughs> but if you're thinking that this is going to be a long-term thing. Or at no. least you tell them before. Oh. Because there's always those people who linger in the background and as soon as something happens, oh yeah, I heard about what he did there. And it's like, uh, why didn't you tell her before if you knew? Well, I think the problem with that is that a lot of people don't want to be seen as raining on somebody's parade. However, the fact is, if you come to me for my honest opinion, I'll say to you, well, what do you want to achieve? If you think that this guy is the guy that's going to order, this girl is going to be the person that's going to be the person for you going forward, then it depends what you expect from them. And the fact is, if you've got that expectation, I think your earlier comment about people going into relationships and they seem to spend less time in actually working out whether they can work together as opposed to basically spending more time at the divorce stage <laughs> trying to pick up the pieces. Well, I think it's, it's all a gamble, really. Everyone, so? Yeah, I think everyone on the day of the wedding, most people have all the best intentions. But then when obviously you get to know the person or if there's any crisis, especially with money or sex or family, that's when obviously there's a strain on the relationship and then you, you know you get to see if that relationship is going to last or not but i think it's it is a gamble hmm. uh, do you know something I, I think to a certain extent i have to agree I, but i think that to a certain extent people don't lay back and just say my mum always used to say know me and come live with me are two different things and you get if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and whether it, that relationship lasted or not you got a pretty much a good idea of what you were getting into. 
And I always worked on that principle that <laughs> I used to have a girlfriend once upon a time when I was a dashing young blade. And she used to sulk for no, no reason. You'd be going to say, what's wrong, baby? Nothing. I said, but what do you mean nothing? You, you don't sound too good. What's, what's wrong? I just feel like sulking. I said, any particular reason? No, I just want to sulk. I said, all right, I'm going home then. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> going forward, those are things that you think to yourself, no, man, I don't want to be, it's not great to work. It's not great to work. So what I want to then move on to is that when you get settlements in relation to children. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that really I found fascinating was when, you've ever heard of that rapper called Nas? No. Um, uh, your son will know who he is. And he basically was going oh, in a relationship with a lady called Khalees. Um, She's a, another African-American um, R&B. And basically what happened was, was that they had a child together. I think the relationship had been a bit rocky, but ultimately um, uh, the re- relationship had, had broken down. And then the judge, basically, she just had a baby and the judge was offering or asking for £50,000 a month. $50,000, sorry, my apologies. America, um, yeah, yeah. yeah $50,000 a month maintenance. And all the rappers were going, what? No, I said, I made no hit record in a long time. What was he doing? You can't ask him for $50,000 a month. And I always look at it and me and Mrs. C have this discussion. <laughs> and the thing is, is that, her argument is, is that, guess what? This guy has been in a relationship with this woman, so he should look after his child. I agree mm-hmm. with that. The bit that I don't understand is, is that notwithstanding that, what makes a baby worth $50,000 when basically a packet of Pampers costs a fiver or a tenner? <laughs> well, I don't know how much a packet. I ain't got any children, so I can't tell you. Well, in the UK, it will be based as a percentage of the the other parents' gross salary. Okay, so how so does I don't that know work? What, it's, what it's like in America, Yeah, but it will be based on what that other parent's salary or gross income is. Right. So it wouldn't be just based on the mother or the, the primary care of the child just having a wish list of what she wants. Obviously, it would have to be based on what the other parent can afford to pay. Okay. So I think, you know, you hear these things in the media and they look at it at the wrong angle. But when you look into it more closely, right, it will make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the feeling of this Judge Judy type of woman saying at the end of that, $50,000. And if you don't like it, there's no room for appeal. No, I mean, at the end of the day, no one can be ordered to pay something that they can't realistically afford to pay. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> well, on the, <laughs> since we've come to the point of payment, this is probably a great time for us to take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back with Michelle Camacho, and she will be telling us more about what it's like in family law and... We'll be talking probably about money. (laughs) We'll see you then. Bad debtors can rob you of your time and money. They can destroy your whole business within weeks. Archaic debt collection agencies and expensive legal fees will drain your cash flow. But in one day, the PRMS Business Debt Prevention Course will teach you how to create late payment management procedures, invoice for immediate settlement, and eradicate existing debt. You'll study real-life examples to drag your business out of the red. 
visit www.prmsltd.co.uk or call 0203-865-7138 to register now before bad debtors make your business another failed statistic. Hello and welcome back to the Cashflow Show with lovely Michelle Camacho. And before the break, we were discussing divorce coaches, financial planning, and lots of other things that are related to family matters and relationships. Now, one of the things that comes up very often is the legal implications of not being married. So before the break, we scared the bejesus out of you by (laughs) making you feel that maybe you should or you shouldn't get married. But then the problem is, There are lots of things going on in terms of civil partnerships and effect of not being married on your finances and on leaving a will, et cetera, et cetera. I know a little bit about this, but it's best to talk to somebody who does. And Michelle, you're on the spot. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So what are the real legal implications of not being married? We've heard about these situations where people are together and then they get divorced. So what happens if you've never been married in the first place? Is it, we're living together, baby. So guess what? You know, it's just like we're married. (laughs) Is it it not like that? Well, no. I mean, firstly, (laughs) I think you have to dispel the myth that a lot of people have that there's no such thing as a common law wife or a common law husband. It doesn't exist. I know that there are a lot of men there who've been spinning that, you're my baby love, you're (laughs) you're my wifey. That doesn't work. (laughs) You don't have any rights if you're not married. So the only rights you have is if you co-own a property together, then obviously you've got uh, legal ownership to that property. Or if you have children together, then while the children are under the age of 18, you can apply for financial provision, transfer property, or for a lump sum to make sure that child, until they're 18, has a home or has somewhere decent to live. But as far as the individual is concerned, it's only if your name is on the property, or if the other person has made a promise to you, if they said, oh, baby, come, you just give you an example. So if someone was in a right to buy council accommodation, okay, and the other partner, the partner said, oh, baby, come, you give up that property. Don't worry. You come and move into my home. This will be your home. Don't worry. And that person therefore gave up their right to buy and they relied on this promise to their detriment on the belief that they would get a share in the property. And then when the relationship ends, they say, oh, no, this is my home. You're not getting anything. So there you could claim what is called proprietary estoppel, that that person made a promise which you relied on to your detriment. Therefore, you should have a share in this property. And that's quite interesting because there was a case in relation to that um, earlier this year where, I th- oh, was it late last year? One of the two, where a lady basically relied on a similar promise. Effectively, what happened, the chap had said to our oh, baby, baby, <laughs> it's always baby involved. So, you know, it's always convenient, but it's, it was that kind of discussion during a lunch date or something like that. Oh, it's like that. We're, it's like we're married. It's like we're together, you know, blah, 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 blah. And basically what happened was, was that he then tried to weasel out of the deal. And then ultimately the court then ruled in her favor, because as you said, I mean, he'd made that promise. She'd relied on that promise. Mm, and then detriment. And yeah. And then the other example is if, if, is if you're paying, so if you, your name's not on the title deeds of the property, but you're, you can show proof that you've paid towards the mortgage or you've made indirect payments. For instance, your partner might have paid the mortgage, whereas you paid the food, all the utility bills, 
So therefore you are paying a equal amount. You can argue that you've got an interest in the property by way of what is called a constructive trust. So they are the three ways in which you can potentially claim an interest in any property. But do you think that when people get together, they and they intend to effectively form that type of relationship, the word prenup comes up. Now, in my understanding, prenups are probably not worth the paper that they're written on. But I might be wrong. You need to tell me. As I said, I've well, never that, tried the prenup because, but I only saw what happened to Paul McCartney and that looked painful. <laughs> he's never made a hit record since. <laughs> well, he's still done well out of it considering the amount of his wealth and what she got. She didn't get anywhere near half of his wealth. Well, she was only on it for a year. Yeah, but still. Yeah, she was only but with, with a pre Prenuptial agreements are still not legally enforceable in England and Wales, but there's been several cases, Radamaka being one of them, where the court has upheld parts of the prenuptial agreement. And I always say that, you know, when you buy a house, you always make sure you have buildings insurance. Otherwise, the reality is your lenders probably would not give you a mortgage. So why would you enter a marriage and not have some form of insurance? And that is what a prenuptial agreement is. But do you think that ultimately you've seen quite a few cases where there have been agreements between the parties and one person has gone back and basically asked for more money because there's been a situation, for example, suppose, for example, I've got PRMS and it's done okay and blah, 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 then I get divorced. But then suddenly Microsoft or, or Apple come along and say, boy, Koki, man, you're the guy that we need to front our action. You know, we're going to give you, you know, 4.2 million. And then your partner then says, well, well hold on. When I was li living with you, you, you know, you had holes in your socks and, you know, you had no money or whatever. Now you've got 4.2 million. I want the share. Well, it depends. I mean, if she helped you to develop your career and your business, then, you know, she is entitled to a share. Yeah. And Just I, like I Mrs. Amazon. She helped him all through the time when he was developing Amazon. And so, yes, yeah, she should get half of his uh, wealth. Yeah, that was a bit strange. I find that whole thing a bit strange in him and his pictures of his credentials. <laughs> I mean, that didn't make any sense to me. I just sort of, all of a sudden it was just, okay, fair enough. They they probably sort of drifted apart in whatever they were doing or whatever they chose to do and so on and so forth. But this woman comes out of somewhere, you know, hot, you know, Latin babe and, you know, <laughs> and then next minute he's got pictures of him. Nobody's ever seen the pictures of what he was supposed to be sending. But for a man of his stature, sending pictures like, I'm thinking, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what I found funny is how he, when he first made the statement, he tried to make her like it was all amicable and there was no other party involved. But he was very naive to think that, you know, it wouldn't come out that he was having an affair with this other lady. Well, the thing is, to be totally honest, I suppose he was trying to sort of basically do damage limitation because he was doing it for the stockholders or the shareholders. That's what he was doing it for. But the fact is, to be totally honest, the, if you looked at that lady who was the, let's call her the co-respondent then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might need to explain what co-respondent is yes. to, um, uh, to, to the audience. <laughs> Are you going to do that or shall I? All right, I'll explain. I mean, Please. well, under UK law, so if you're starting the divorce proceedings, you will be the petitioner and the other party who you're divorcing would be the respondent. And if there is a third party, they will be named as the co-respondent. 
But I just want to add, being a member of resolution, we always advocate that you should not name the other party or join them to the proceedings. Because the reality is it would just prolong the inevitable. They have to be served with the divorce papers. You have to wait for them to acknowledge the divorce papers. It just doesn't help matters. And it doesn't make any difference to the finances. I think back in the days, you know, when you see episodes of Poirot and or something like that, being a correspondent was a big thing. It was, uh, you know, it was like, whoa, he's a correspondent. Oh my God. You know, it'd be a terrible, but as you say, in this day and age, it's, you know, it's completely different. But I should do full disclosure. I did work for a little bit in the divorce registry. All right. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> so. I mean, hopefully all of this will be a mute point anyway, because once we get over the, the, the um, over Brexit, then hopefully Parliament will pass through the, the, the new divorce uh, bill, which will make sure that there's a no-fault divorce, so you won't be naming co-respondent. It'll just be a straightforward process where you don't have to rely on the facts, the five facts for divorce. And so those five facts are, if I remember rightly... So it's unreasonable behaviour, adultery, two years separation cons- yeah. where the other person has to consent... Defense. Five years separation, and I missed out two years desertion, which is very rare. Yeah. So, I mean, those are your your main reasons. Um, But what will that do for lawyers? Will that do lawyers out of a job so then ultimately they become replaced by robots? No, I will never be replaced (laughs) by a robot. Come on. (laughs) I mean, the reality is the lawyers are more useful when it comes to sorting out the finances. With a divorce petition, you could even do your own divorce online now. Mm. If the person's articulate enough, they can probably do the divorce themselves. But what is trickier is sorting out the finances and the arrangements for the children. And that's where you have to have the lawyers for now anyway. (laughs) Now, I've got this theory, and I believe it to be true, that the busiest time for people involved in family law is Christmas, just after Christmas, Mm school holidays, <laughs> and that's when it all kicks off. Is that when people realise yes. that they've Although been... Although there is no such thing as D-Day, Divorce Day, that particular day in January. That's just a load of rubbish. But what happens after Christmas, you're spending additional time with your family and you're not so loved ones. And obviously you have arguments with Auntie Mildred or Uncle Gilbert. And you know, as you said, family is another reason why people uh, separate. And also with family holidays abroad or even in the, in the UK, you're spending extra time with your loved ones. And obviously arguments happen, things which should not have been said are said. And sometimes people can't come back from that, sadly. And also in the new year, like with everything, people are more reflective. They're thinking, oh, can I really spend another year with her exactly. <laughs> or him? Well, exactly. Because, I mean, when you when you have these social holidays like Christmas and bank holidays and Easter and whatever, people see more of each other yes. than they would ever normally see exactly. of that person. Yeah. And now, you know, and you can, I can imagine it. I might imagine it from a woman's point of view as opposed to anything. And then they're sitting there looking at the man and thinking to themselves, yeah. <laughs> My mum told me I should never have married you, you waster. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other sad thing as well, that's where you have an increase in what we call silver uh, divorces. A lot of uh, relationships, they've stayed together, the couple, for the sake of the children. And then once the children flow from the nest, they find that they've got nothing in common. Yeah. And sadly, at the age of 60, 70, yeah, they they're going through a divorce. 
you know, that must be, I can understand why it is because a lot of people traditionally stayed together much longer than they would have ever stayed mm. together just because of the kids and, you know, your dad's outside in his shed. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality now we're living, we're aging uh, populations. So yeah. People are living a lot longer. So, you know, it's, it's not a case of you being married for 25 years. You could be married for 30, 40, 50 years living with that one person. Yeah, yeah, but the fact is, is that also as well, people, and I read in a report that people were blaming Viagra. for (laughs) Don't choke on your wards. (laughs) No, seriously, they were blaming Viagra because these guys had settled into a life of just, boy, I'm going to walk the dog, I'm going to play some chairs, some blah, blah, blah. They're taking a couple of Viagra, feel, boy, I'm young now. (laughs) So they're thinking to themselves, right, I'm leaving her. Trading her in for Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be a player now. (laughs) And, you know, that... It does change things because I always look in terms of property. Because if you look at property, because now all people are getting divorced and wanting, when people get divorced, they want their own place. So if everybody wants their own place, the reason why we all live together in one big house is because obviously that saves space. So there's not enough places being built, enough mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very interesting situation. But I'm going to take you a bit away from that because that all sounds quite heavy and um, uh, uh, very deep. So let's find out a bit more about you. I'm going to ask you some questions that we always ask and and see if you manage to make any notes. So did you have any ideas about what your favourite film is and why? Oh, yes. One film I remember, I'm showing sure my age, is Kramer versus Kramer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. You got me there. And the reason why I like that film, it was Dustin Hoffman and Meryl Streep. The wife left him with the child and you know he was his career was um progressing and he had to give up his job and he devoted his time to this child he even befriended another single mother and then the wife had second thoughts and wanted to come back and then they had what they called in america though we don't like to say it here a custody battle over the child and it was really emotional i remember seeing that when i was very young i was like oh and the child they had to interview the child to let you know, let the child tell them what he wanted, what parent he wants to you know to live with, and it is awful for any child to go through that situation. That's why I think shared parenting is the key. You put aside your differences just because you don't get on with the child's father or the child's mother. You need to let the child know, both of you, that you love that child and it's not their fault. Of course, and you have to co-parent that child if you choose to lie down with anyone, I'm sorry to be blunt, <laughs> no, and have a child give- with someone, you've got to, it doesn't matter if you can't stand the other um, father or the, the mother, you've got to co-parent and focus on what's right for your child. And I think that's spot on. I think the difficulty with most people is, is that because they attach so much emotional stuff. I mean, if when I was a dashing young blade, if I met a woman, she goes, oh, well, I've got two kids and I've got two baby fathers. I'm like, whoa, this is too much for me. I'm not get, This is all getting confusing. We need to be, be in a position to be able to deal with that because a lot of people find themselves and they create this big set of drama that they will never, ever be able to come out of. And you've got all these children that are confused in the middle of it. And then, you know, people, oh, the, the guy is supposed to turn up at four o'clock. He doesn't turn up until four o'clock the next day and all this kind of stuff. And the kid's sitting there looking outside the window waiting for daddy and whatever. It's terrible. Yeah, it's horrible. It's but So Kramer versus Kramer. Yes. Then let's move on to that. What about a favourite book? 
Well, the book, I'm a bit lazy when it comes to reading, because as you can imagine, I have to read case law and look up the legal. So I listen. So I do a lot of audible books. I thought you were going to say reading on divorce or something. No, 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 no. (laughs) So I do more audible books. And the one that I like in particular is The Power of Now by um, Eckhart Tolle, if I pronounce his name correctly. So it's all about living in the moment. You don't live in the past. You don't live in the future. You, it's all about the power of now. So you focus on the moment. And it's very important. And I always tell my clients as well, you know, it's very hard. Not all situations you can control, but it's how you deal with it and how you come out of the situation, which, you know, speaks volumes. Excellent. And that's an interesting concept. And as I said, for your clients, really, to be honest with you, that is something that they didn't need to take away with them. You know, maybe you should give it out as copies, as a, or get copies of it. <laughs> okay, so, and your favourite album or single and why? Uh, it's got to be Michael Jackson, I'm sorry. <laughs> what do you mean? You can't be sorry about Michael Jackson on, on, well, no, on the Because Cash all this, that, that silly programme, well, I won't say too much, but the programme that was recently, the documentary yes. about Michael Jackson. But no, Michael Jackson, Thriller. So the original Thriller album. Yeah. Yeah, the classics. Yeah, it's a yes, yeah, it's definitely. a classic. So we can't knock you on that one. And when it comes to Michael Jackson, let's just say that looking at it from a lawyer or a lawyer's perspective, let's just say there are some very big holes in that um, uh, documentary. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so um, uh, not all. It's not as clear cut as it no. could or should be. So that's um, uh, that's obviously something that um, uh, will be addressed as time goes along. So. What I wanted to touch with you, because it's always interesting to me, because I've got lawyers that are clients, and if they're listening to this, they're probably thinking, oh, what's he going to say? But lawyers are notorious for their bills. And why do you think that people are so resentful of paying a lawyer's bill? And how do you cope with if a a client then loses, in inverted commas, a case? Mm. And then how do you deal with getting paid when somebody feels that they haven't necessarily won the case? Well, firstly, it's a distress service that we provide. Same here. And most people, you know, they are basically paying to retain what is already theirs. So it's very difficult for them to obviously pay large amount of bills. But I think what is key for all solicitors is to firstly meet the client's expectations from the outset, give realistic cost estimates to that client. Yes. And I always ask for payments on account. I mean, in the best world, in the best will of world, you're not going to get all of your fees up front, but you know, at least let them know that you will be asking for regular payments on account. And I always send my clients interim bills. So at the end of the month, tomorrow being the end of the month. <laughs> Come on, if you, if you, I don't know when this is going to go out because it might be a little while, but if you're coming to the end of the month and you're a client of Michelle's, look in your email because you're going to get a bill. So they know at the end of the month, they will get an interim invoice from me. So it's all about letting the client know exactly how you operate, how you bill them, giving them realistic cost estimates. And then no one is surprised at the end of the day. But you know, it is a distress service and they are paying service for something that's already theirs so it is very you have to understand empathize with them 
I'm totally with you. I mean, I'm in exactly the same same mm. business. They say effectively, it's not mine's not necessarily family, but the reality of it is, I am providing a, a, a distress service, or PRMS is providing a distress service. So as a consequence of that, yeah, people are are very very uptight to a certain extent, and you can't blame them. But the reality of it is, is that unless you're in a position to to get something that's already theirs, I suppose it's difficult for them to understand that. But the fact is, is that what I touch on is what you said about realistic advice. Yes. Because I think that when I see some lawyers, I and I see some cases that are brought, I'm thinking, you don't have to be a silk or 20 years at the bar to, to realise that this case was just going to be on a loser. Yes. And I'm thinking, why did somebody, unless you must have a client that is completely insistent and they want to pursue it. But there are times, and I had to say this to a gentleman yesterday, don't waste your money. You're wasting time. Mm. I don't want to waste my time on a case that's going nowhere. Exactly. Because or a if, case that you're not going to be successful. No, no one wants because it's your reputation at stake. Of course. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. But you have some lawyers who will still go to court knowing full well that they don't have a leg to stand on. But as long as, long as the client pays, they're going. It's a day's job for them. Yeah, that's true. It's true. So my question now is, what is your advice to anyone thinking of starting in the legal profession now? Don't do it. (laughs) There you have it. (laughs) No, no, no. My advice is, no, I think it's key, especially if you're a young person, to do something that you're passionate about, something that you love. Because, you know, you don't want to be doing a job that you'll be doing for the next 20, 30 odd years and you're not in love or passionate about it. So I think, you know, if you're truly passionate about helping people, going to court, you know, challenges, research in the law, then yes, do it. But if if it's not for you, then look at what you're passionate about. Don't just do it because your parents are saying you have to do it. You have to be a lawyer or an accountant <laughs> or whatever, or a doctor. Do it because you want to do it. And I think that's uh, the problem with a lot of young people. They get pushed into places where they don't want to be. And as I said to my son, my son's come to my eldest son. He's come to my office and he said, oh, no, I don't want to be doing this. I said, fair enough. It's not for you. I think that just do what you are generally interested in and you're passionate about. Yeah, I think that's very good advice. And that really sort of of segues into us going to or drawing to 